welcome to Secure IP, this post-Christmas edition. A little fun, we're visiting friends and figured we'll have a fun podcast for a change. So yes, normally welcome to Secure IT, where we discuss all things security, people, trends, and products. And thank you for joining us on our continuing journey. This one's a little different, as you can see. Uh, the concept started as an exciting idea in my mind. And slowly as it developed, I figured this one may be a little fraught with peril. Time will tell. Allow me to introduce this podcast as a father-daughter event where we're going to learn more about how our kids view us. And the kids probably will, in this case, all three girls know everything about their fathers. So here goes. This might be one of these brilliant moves of mine. Or it could be one of these ideas that I have, you know, acted on first and may have needed a little more thought. Here's to fathers and daughters. And yes, it is often remarked that, you know, you three girls look like sisters. So we'll start introductions just to make sure that people can tell you apart. And in this case, of course, age before beauty. I am honored to have with us Signalo Fernandez. First friend and then CEO of the Coates family companies, brand and culture champion, master strategist, growth guru, and father. And of course, one of the brief moments that I'm actually going to be nice and respectful. Nello, welcome. Thank you, Philip. We, first of all, happy holidays to your entire audience and to you. We already got a chance to wish your family. So it's with gratitude that. I want to express my appreciation for um, giving us this opportunity. So thank you. Awesome. And thank you for sharing your house. And you know, it's nice and warm and good to be with family. In, in, in order of appearance on this planet, Nicole Fernandez, the firstborn, heavy is the head, and, but where is the crown, Nicole? Highly creative and an absolute gem. Hanging on Nicole, one of the things that Nicole can Never do a say no in senior digital account manager with a rich career from Fox to Team One and now Motive. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks, Uncle Philip. Thank you for having us. Really excited to dive in with you guys. Yep, this is going to be fun. Celeste Fernandez, Penn State, Ralph Lauren, both some pretty big brand names and now talent acquisition at NBC. Hey, Celeste. Hi, Uncle Philip. Thanks for having us. Welcome. And last but never the least, Emily D'Souza, SDSU, MHA candidate at Columbia. Emily, I'm really proud of that one. And a prestigious internship at Kaiser. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. So this is a cliche where the secondborns, right, are, are totally flourish while the pressure is on while we do all our dragon parenting with the firstborns. And uh, you have naturally thrived, and I find that in common between uh, Celeste and Emily. So we will continue. And one day, of course, hopefully, Edward's listening, we will do a father-son moment. So let's start with, you know, we're going to keep this loose. We're going to keep this fun. And the truth shall be revealed as to I'm dying to know what my daughter thinks about me. So <laughs> this is the moment, guys. Let's start with careers, right? Ignalo, tell us how you got here. Hospitality um, actually chose me. I went to school to be an investment banker. So did my bachelor's in finance and then did 
did my master's in marketing and business law and set out to, to be in the world of finance and get into investment banking and wanted to work for a company like a uh, city bank or American express, tried that out for a little bit, worked with an international conglomerate in finance and found that world not to suit me when searching just for a different route really. And I'd, by then I had actually moved back to the U S to the, to India from the U S and my, the first inclination was to, to join another conglomerate in India, but where I did settle Goa, India, all we had were five-star resorts. And so Sheraton at the time was one of the options that I had. And I said, let me go try it out. So friends of mine said, if you didn't like the world of finance, maybe this is what you do. Get involved with hospitality. Not knowing what that meant, I went head in first. And since then, it's been an amazing, almost 35-year career doing that through several rounds of iterations of being at, in the operations, then being a consultant, then being in marketing, and then eventually now running a company. It's been quite the journey. And it shows we've, you know, I've often taken the liberty, so to speak, of sitting with you and I enjoy your your out-of-box thinking. So truly, brand ambassador, you know, culture champion, and influencer and disruptor. So very proud to call you friend and proud to, to watch as you've done all these magnificent things. And we'll, we'll talk a little later about being innovative and, and that moment at Ternia where you, you know, were here in your early years and you invite all the local prolific social media types and I think that was the weekend that Ternia got, what, like a million or two million hits while these guys are actually enjoying the resort. And you really couldn't pay for that kind of momentum, could you? No, it, uh, you can't. I mean, really, when you talk about innovation, it, it starts with, um, you know, the people, right? And the people you surround yourself with, because you can only um, sort of elevate your thinking, your just your entire, over the years, I've learned how to do that is to be selective and spend my time a little bit more wisely than I did in my younger days. But going back to the, the influencer program, it was a spinoff on what I had heard another fortune 500 company do, which was they were actually repositioning the brand for success. And out of the blue, they had influencers actually hang around posting, experiencing their stores and their product, and then posting stuff in real time. And all of a sudden they found a new avenue to get engagement. And when you talk about brand, it's truly about not only the sensation that you create through, through different touch points, but truly it's about the engagement piece, right? And so in, in a world where companies own the brand and we're transitioning to where cons the consumer now owns the brand, this was the perfect crossroads at which the influencer, the influencers and those campaigns became relevant. So we took advantage of that, replicated that, and, and Terranea was a, also a resort that I just started open in the midst of the Great Recession and was literally floundering in terms of where the brand was headed. Although operationally and physically, the property is as gifted as any resort in the world. It just it was just a matter of uncovering its soul uh, through its people through outsiders, and then most importantly, to folks that saw the value of the brand and had the audience and the reach. So that, that kind of was the turning moment to when we started picking on ourselves to say, 
what next and what next and so what next really turned into this digital transformation like no other and that truly has created its reputation in the marketplace as the top resort in the country for several years now. Thank you. Nicole, moving on. Next, let's talk about you, right? So firstborn, right? Dad has had his eyes on you for a few more years than he did on Celeste. And you know, you've got this, this spectacular career. You are extremely creative. And I mean that in all seriousness, you know, from, from photography and, and makeup and all these great talents. Tell us about your career and how you got here. Yeah, I think a little bit more of an unconventional path than most, but my whole life, I thought I wanted to be a doctor and pursue medicine. Lifelong dream of being a pediatrician it kind of came to a grinding halt when I was at initially the University of Florida. I had done an internship my freshman year that really just gave me more perspective into the medical industry or medical field. And I realized that it just wasn't fulfilling this like passion that I had inside. And then all of a sudden, when I was at this pivotal moment in my life where I didn't know what I wanted to do, I luckily had all the support in the world from my parents to really just take a step back and explore what it is that fulfilled this passion that I wanted to pursue and give me a little bit more of that like driving purpose in life. And so I ended up taking a gap year from the University of Florida, got an internship at an advertising agency in Los Angeles called Team One. And it was a completely out of left field for me. But during my time there, I was just every sing at every single turn, I was amazed at the creative work that was happening and just the type of people, the environment, it was sparking that inner creativity and giving me a platform where I could really leverage what I love. And that's connecting with people and just tapping into different levels or like different creative platforms. And so from there, I realized, okay, this is what I want to do. I was able to hyper-focus into social media during my internship there and be able to explore the advertising world, business side of that or business side of things. And I took that momentum and started helping out local businesses in the area. So at that point, I had fully transferred from the University of Florida and started doing content shoots for local businesses. And that kind of leveraged content for their websites. And my intent was for social media. But knowing that a lot of businesses in the area didn't have big advertising money to really know what to do with that content or how to post it on social media. What type of audience are they reaching? And throughout my internship, that's where I realized I had a passion for that field. So I started helping out businesses to grow their social media platforms. And then through that, one of my clients ended up being Marymount California University. And that's where I brought back this want and desire to go back to school and pursue business at the time. And I was working there and I love, it's such an inspirational campus. So it brought these two worlds together for me. So I ended up going back to school, graduated with a double degree in marketing and management. And then from there, started my career at Fox Sports. And so I jumped straight into it. The network FS1 was launching a new network show with Christine Lay called Fair Game. And they wanted somebody who was very comfortable in the social media space to launch the show's platforms across all channels. And so I was very fortunate to 
land that kind of opportunity coming right out of school. From the network side, my passion in sports is in the live portion of it. So being able to help teams and be a part of that live action. So within Fox, after about a year on the show, I pivoted over to the local network side and was working with all the Los Angeles teams that Fox Sports supported. So Clippers, Padres, Angels, uh, Ducks, Kings, you name it, and was really able to see a different part of the sports industry. From there, I was able to reestablish some connections with the company that I had done my internship with in college at Team One. And at that point, thought, okay, this would be such a cool pivot in my career to go back to where it all started for me. So made the pivot over to Team One and was running social media for Lexus and the across all of their U.S. platforms for almost two years. Loved that role. And then from there, at that point in my life, I was about six or seven years dabbling in social media, which was so neat because it's an ever-changing field, but then wanted to just see a different side of digital marketing to grow my own skill sets and find a new challenge in my career. And so I initially wasn't looking for a big pivot in my career, but an opportunity with Motive came about where they were looking for a senior digital account manager. And I just remember when I was going through my interview, I said, I had looked at the portfolio. They, the company had worked with all these incredible brands. And I had asked, what are some of the brands that I would be touching on a day-to-day basis? And my boss said, have you ever drank a Pepsi before? And I said, yes. And I just thought that would be such a cool experience to have something totally different kind of across the spectrum. I never touched food and beverage. I had never touched consumer product goods. Still being in the advertising and creative space, but now I'm building websites and (laughs) working with a creative team to develop landing pages and programs. And most of that is for Pepsi. It's our largest client and all of their subsidiary companies. But yeah, that's what I do now. Amazing. FS1 as in Fox Sports 1. Yeah. And so I'm proud to say that although it was just four months, somehow Aurora was involved in in the start of your career. Right? Remember those days? That's 2014, I think. And you did this, this like for us for onboarding new members onto the team and it had the mission vision little statement core values that that we still have somewhere in the office and you know the journey went on from there and we all proudly watch more at again you know this this out of the box innovative creative thinking and the beautiful results that it creates so last on to you so you know yes following in the footsteps of giants, right? We've got Pops. And if that's not enough, we've got big sister fondly fondly referred to as DV. Tell us how you got here. Yeah. So very similar to my older sister, which I don't think I ever really realized until we're talking about it today. I thought I was going to be a dentist when I finished school. So very similar. I thought I was going to go more so the science route that in my first biology lecture at Penn State and immediately knew this was not the right place for me to be. So spent first year with dad figuring out what it is that I wanted to do, the space that I wanted to be in, and through just conversations about truly what 
my experiences have looked like, what it is that I really wanted out of my day-to-day and where my passion would be, we settled on something within the business world. So went back to Penn State sophomore year with the end goal of getting into their business school, which was what I worked towards. Had my first internship experience the summer after sophomore year. So I got to work with Altice, which is a nonprofit based in San Pedro. They focus on um, the ocean and ocean sustainability. So through them, I was a social media and marketing intern. So got to see more of that side of things, especially being as active in socials as I am. Thought it could be a really cool space to explore. Absolutely love that. Thought it was really interesting to see the nonprofit side because it was a space I wasn't super familiar with. But while I loved the sort of glimpse it gave into the world of social media and marketing, I also knew that wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. And I was very fortunate to stumble upon our management program. And that was really what caught my interest. Within Penn State, you are able to, once you get into the business school, choose your concentration. You're able to have a more specific focus. So I chose human capital. And that ended up being the absolute best decision, kind of sitting in the classes, learning about what it's like to acquire talent, things like employment law. That was just, I just knew sitting in those classes, like this is what I'm incredibly interested in. This is what I want to work with day in and day out. Uh, Studied abroad my second semester of junior year, got to go to Madrid, Spain, working towards both my two minors in Spanish and international business. And during that time, I was like all juniors in college, very quickly applying for internships, trying to figure out where I should be was able to land an internship with Ralph Lauren's diversity, equity, and inclusion team. So as their sole intern, I got to live in New York for about 10 weeks, which also offset a whole new goal of mine. And through there, being their sole intern, I got to work from anything from planning the different events employee resource groups were having to any sort of events that we were having like pride months being the sole intern and just getting the amount of exposure that I did and just how much I realized I love working with people not just internally but externally as well I got to shadow their talent acquisition team as well and so that's that became my new end goal is how do I become a recruiter how do I get into TA went back to Penn State for my senior year started looking for that next role and then COVID hit. And so being a 2020 grad, I'm sure everyone's heard what that was like, but definitely an interesting experience. Very, I think, scary for a lot of reasons. And especially as someone who didn't have a job at that time, I think just a lot of unknowns. Um, But having the support system I had, having the parents that I had, just being able to really take that time to be at home and find that role that was going to be right for me. I think that's something that I've always just been incredibly grateful for. And about a couple months later, I was able to have an interview for NBC Universal. So I never thought I would work in media. I don't know why. I just always thought it was going to be a really creative driven field. And it definitely is, but it is a business at the end of the day. And you need every sort of facet and aspect of it. And I've always been a fan of NBC Universal, absolutely loved all their content. We grew up in Florida and Los Angeles, so used to go to the parks all the time. And so I started there as a coordinator with our talent acquisition team. And a little over a year later, I was able to be promoted into a recruiter role for the entertainment team. So working with the film and TV teams and around that time as well, I left Los Angeles, left my parents' house and moved to New York City, which is where I currently reside. So growing up, 
So I strike the, the, the memories that I have not, and you guys are still growing up. Okay. We're not done yet with you. You forever will be our children. Like I, I remember Nick's at the local, you know, football game. It could be a US, USC game or wherever she was. And she'd be furiously typing and doing some kind of social media influencing stuff with you and my second born. The first thing that comes to mind is fun, right? Like I, and I, I really feel like while we were focused on the oldest ones in the family, you got to thrive, right? You live the cliche. Like if I need a referral to the best rooftop bar in New York, I'm going to come to you via Emily, right? And we'll talk about growing up in a little more. You're smiling. Okay. So let's go, sweetheart. You make me very nervous when you're quiet, right? Because I wonder what, what, you're, what you're up to. But, you know, from the early days of, what was it, a lemonade stand when you were growing up and to wanting to be a pediatrician to where you are today. And I know you're, you're, you still haven't finished or you will finish your master's soon. Tell us about how you got here. So I'll keep my insurance sweet since my career is still in the making. But I was always that kid who loved going to the doctor's office. So... From that passion, I wanted to be a pediatrician, but everyone I talked to, including my own pediatrician, said, don't do it. You'll be dealing more with the parents and the kids, and that's just a nightmare in itself. And so one day my mom suggested, oh, why don't you look into public health? And at the time, it was before COVID, so no one really knew what public health was. I remember going to oh, intro camp at Berkeley for public health, and I just fell in love with it. So I decided to major in public health at San Diego State University. And after I graduated, I realized that I wanted to go more into the business side of healthcare. So I decided to move to New York and go to Columbia University. And now I'm in my second year and majoring in healthcare administration. Well done, short and sweet. So, yeah. and you're right, right? The numerous pediatricians we spoke to, right, or uh, including your own yeah. and including friends of friends, actually talked you out of becoming a pediatrician. Am I right? Yeah. And you're like, no, you know, the interaction that you get with your patients is minimized. And mm -hmm. then I remember this moment at Berkeley, was it, where you mm -hmm. were doing kind of a, an audit of all the different, what was that? It, it was an audit of all the various disciplines in medicine, right? And you weren't too fond of having to drill, drill a hole in a pig's head. Am I right? And yeah. you're all yeah. part of the class. But here you are. Well done. So, guys, yeah, I'm rubbing my hands with glee. This is the moment that I've been waiting for. We're, we've talked about successes, and I want to talk about just setbacks, but I want this to be a free-for-all interactive thing. And, and let me start with an example. So I grew up in a family of engineers, and it was intentional. Uh, that my father wanted me to focus on finance, right? And so, you know, three or four or three and a half finance degrees later, you know, I uh, I created a successful cybersecurity company, but very different from from where I thought my natural inclination was. Uh, and I don't know what kind of engineer I would have made, but I gravitate towards all things engineering. I also find that one of the best pieces of advice that my dad gave me uh, while he had no clue of what was going on in IT in the early days, 
uh, was Philip, you've got to focus on software. And, and, and the irony is that, you know, one of the startups that I have in, in software uh, for school lunches is probably one of the most successful businesses left pretty much unattended, right? And so, so while I'm not referring to this as setbacks, I'm kind of referring to this as setbacks and parental advice and what could have been and wouldn't happen loosely, right? So, so Ignello, what could have been? Was there a setback in your career that, you know, or, or the influence of your father's teachings or direction? Um, oh. Yeah. One of the things that growing up with my parents, what I loved about them was we didn't really reflect back too much on stuff that we grew up a middle-class family and both of them with strong work ethics, like many families, they make it on their own though. Um, the one thing that my dad would always say is future focus. And yeah, so we hardly ever looked at it that way. But if I, since you framed that question in the way you have, I, I think one of the things that they wanted me to do was to educate myself in India so that I could stay close to, close to home, if you will, and come up through that education system. But, but by the same token, they also knew that you've got to follow your passion because that's what they always told us, follow your passion, follow your heart and do what's, do what you think is right. And so with that, I, I would say that that would have been the only thing that may have changed the trajectory of everything that I've done so far from, from getting married to my, my wife, who I met in college and to having a job here, yeah. wanting to come back here, even after working in India uh, for three or four years and experiencing that to its fullest. But yeah, I think there's, if there's one thing, it would be that education piece where maybe it was a little bit harder in terms of trying educate yourself in India. The second option was the UK, because that happens to be the next best closest to, to India. But then the, just the concept of coming to the US was one that was probably questioned in the beginning, but in the end it was follow your heart, follow your passion and, and do what you think is right. And I'm happy it, it turned out the way it did and wouldn't have had it any other ways. You, you're saying that there wasn't a, you know, a rock and roll career in the making that was left unattended or cooking up some you know, really good gone dishes in a, or a sous chef potential somewhere? That all of that was left behind because the focus was get an education, be the best version of yourself. But yeah, along the way, my love for soccer, my love for music, at a very early age, I, I realized my limitations and I said, you know what, it's better to pursue something different and find my calling. But both sports and music have to be a passion. And that's something that I truly yield to in my downtime, right? It's, I've, you've got to find outlets to do things. And in the absence of having too many vices, I think sports and music would be the two things that, you know, that I gravitate towards. Yeah. And we've spoken about our fathers and their influence on us, you know, and I'm putting it on, Hey, if I really didn't have these guardrails of parental advice, would I have done something different? Was there any setbacks in my career? So leaving this as an open-ended question, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think dad has been such a champion in terms of just how supportive he is. And mom is the same way as well. But I think one of the biggest things dad did for me was encouraging me to go to Penn State. And it was not something unexpected, but I, after moving to LA, we moved when I was, I think, going into eighth grade. And so after spending eighth grade in high school there, I was like, I'm not leaving the West Coast. I don't want to live far away from home. And 
it just so happens I choose the for the school that I applied for and got into. So I think for me, just hearing his perspective of coming to the U.S., going to a smaller school, and he had such a successful career and such a successful life, but also hearing about going up against people who came from bigger schools and having certain experiences that you do get from a big school name, that was something that he really sold me on and just not even just from a terms of an education perspective, but like life perspective as well. And just the experiences that I would get things like studying abroad, being able to experience what it's like to live far away from home, having that sense of independence and how to manage that as well. Managing being away from your family and travel plans not always working out well, things like that. So I think in a lot of ways, that is one of the things I'm most grateful to dad for kind of encouraging me to do. I think if I hadn't had that encouragement, I most likely would have gone to a smaller LA school. I'm sure there would have been a lot of success with that as well. But I just think the experiences I would have had, whether it's interning at Ralph Lauren, again, studying abroad, things like that, having that sense of community and that alumni base that Penn State does have and having those resources, I don't know that I would have had that and had that same level of reach that I get with going to a school like Penn State. So I, I stay by my initial observation, right? The, the second born, not that the first ones don't, but you just seem to live life and have fun a lot. Like our trip to Spain, right? And we, you know, we were, we were there one of the first early nights you take us to this brilliant restaurant to celebrate our anniversary. You order everything. And I remember the, what was it? The, help me, Agua del Rifo. Yes, the, the, <laughs> Agua del Rifo. Yeah, right. And, and, and so you go to Spain, you immerse yourself. You know, this generates a tour by car that we take all through Spain. We, we really had some fun, fun times. Emily D'Souza, talk to me. Yeah, I feel like as the second child, they do have a lot more freedom than the first. For example, you lived your life through Edward with the American dream. He wanted or you wanted him to play baseball, but he didn't want to play baseball. And Emily, not only that, sweetheart, I paid $75 an hour for coaching. And the coach was like throwing fastballs at a poor kid. You're right. That was, Continue, that was a please. poor investment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in basketball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think as a second child, we can get away with more. Or we can do what we want to do and you'll still support us because you've learned that we can make it, we can make our own way and we're a little bit more independent. I think we always joke about me taking over your business. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. But I think you let me make my own path. And I was always passionate about healthcare and you've always been very supportive of that. So I, I like though, I guess I like being the second child and having more of that independence and having that support system and being able to do what I want. Yep, this this is true, true, right? We're we're distracted and you thrive. I, I get it. But so so fun, but also, you know, there is of course the responsibility with all three of you. But something that does come to mind for for you guys is the tenacity. So, you know, Emily, I remember these low points as we we're talking about career low points. When COVID hit, right? And you had this this really brilliant internship at little company that went south because you couldn't show up at work. But then you went on and you typed furiously and found this eclectic group of medical interns who didn't have an internship, who created an internship on LinkedIn of all places. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Talk about that. 
Yeah. So when COVID hit, all the hospitals were shutting down and it was mainly the ERs open so that they could bring in and treat COVID patients. So since I wanted to be on the administrative side, a lot of the internships were closing down. So I didn't want to be sitting at home doing nothing. So I decided to go on LinkedIn and use my network to see what was out there. I had one of my or my former boss reached out to me on LinkedIn and she said, hey, you should apply to this program. And it ended up working out because that was an intro to healthcare administration, which I hadn't had before since I was mainly focused on public health and undergrad. Through that internship, I learned what a SWOT analysis was. I got to give recommendations to people, people from Cleveland Clinic. We had a bunch of different admin come and speak to us. So I guess that really shaped my career path and deciding that I wanted to go into healthcare administration. It was a little bit of a trial. And so I guess that's how I ended up here today. So I am grateful for that setback in COVID-19. And yeah. Next. Last but not least. I think touching a little bit on how you, the perspective on the older child versus the younger child and maybe going through some of those difficulties is I think my perspective on it is that my parents always put up while being as, you know, caring and nurturing as they are to this day. It was a little bit more of a front of, oh, okay, you're going to do it this way. So how do we pivot and how do we adjust and what's the new strategy and approach? Whereas the younger ones, I do think there's a little bit more leeway of, oh, you'll figure it out. You'll get there. Oh, <laughs> like, we've done it once before and now you can figure it out yourself every time. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But I think, I think that probably the biggest setback, if we're wording it that way, would be my pivot from going to the University of Florida to reshaping my entire life, moving from this medical career path that I was on and had a very, I was very headstrong about being a doctor and then having this like identity crisis and not really knowing what I wanted to do or what direction I needed to go in because all of a sudden I had a blank slate in front of me. And I think just in terms of approaching that one, I had the most incredible support system from my own parents to, like you said, with you were a big part of that too. And just giving me different opportunities to test out different skill sets that I could maybe that could spark something and lead me down a different career path. And I think in the face of adversity and just not knowing, there's a sense of, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to figure out who I am and all of that? And so I think the, the best pieces of advice that I would hear across the board from people that I look to as mentors, especially during that time in my life was what fuels you? What is something that is going to keep you going, keeps you interested, is going to challenge you? And so I think having that mindset instilled in me has always forced me to want to continue to build my network and meet people from all different kinds of backgrounds and have that sort of connection and expansion with a group of people because I think that is what fuels me. And so that in itself helped me pivot my life into this whole new field where now, you know, connecting with people and building relationships is such a big part of who I am and what I do. Yeah. No, so, so let me use that as a pivot for a moment, right? And so girls, this question is going to come to the three of you and I'm going to start with Emily here. Yeah, and we were discussing this last night over dinner, like, you know, bringing up girls is very different from bringing up boys. And I continue to say that, Men are like bumper cars. 
we go through life, we hit something, we move, we continue forward, right? We bumble through lives and we've got mothers and wives and sisters and daughters to tell us better how to do things right. And, and you know, women are definitely the smarter of the species. I've said this on the podcast many a time. And so, so here is where, you know, this conflict starts, right? With, with the parents wanting to be right, right? And telling you what's better for you. And Emily, I'm had this was heading your way, you know, and, and as a female and as an empowered girl and daughter and child, you're knowing what's right, right? So the, the juxtaposition between your parents thinking they know, they know what's right for you and you absolutely being certain about, you know, what's right. How did you manage that growing up? How do you still manage that? It is often said that, you know, I, you have me wrapped around your little finger. There might be some truth to that. Uh, but you know, whatever it is, as we look today, you know, at the three of you, I feel we've, you know, we've all done well as parents, right? So comment on how you managed us, Emily. Yeah, I feel since you and mom both grew up in India, you have a different mindset about how girls should grow up, especially in India. I think girls are more protected and there's a different mindset, whereas in America, it's all about girls should be empowered, like you should do what you want and stronger through doing what you want. So I guess having that mindset was a little bit hard for you to transition into bringing up a daughter here. I think you definitely have to adapt. And I know you wanted us to have the American way of life while also having that Indian culture. And I think one of your regrets is not teaching me Hindi, so. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can still make up for that. Um, yeah. Um, the whole. Yeah. So your question was, how did I adapt to that? Yeah. How, I mean, was the there conflict while growing up? Was there conflict between, you know, what, what, you want to do versus what your parents want to do and keeping your parents happy yet, you know, plowing through on, on your future and having control of your destiny. Yeah. I feel like I was pretty lucky where I didn't have too much conflict with, I did what I want. And I would like to say I'm the golden child. You can so say it I'm like <laughs> so I wouldn't say I had too much conflict, but there, I feel like sometimes I'd want to do something and you'd be like, oh, like you can't do that because something else. I think me being stubborn in the way it was, I would just go with it. I was like, oh, I can deal with the yelling later. That's fine. And just move past it. But I wouldn't say there is too much conflict. Celeste, your turn. Yeah, I think very similar oh. to I was the child who I would do things, especially when it came to when dad would ask me, like, no questions asked, like, it would be done within five minutes sort of thing. And so I think that was good and bad. It was good. I think it allowed us to build that trusting relationship. I think it was very easy for him to rely on me for certain things, or it also just gave me the sense of he would tell me what to do, I would do it sort of thing. And so I just always felt like that was second nature to me. And so there really wasn't the need for a lot of follow-up on my end, things like that. But I also think that wasn't the best thing because it, I think Nicole will go into this, but she always asked why sort of thing. And so I think that was really great of just not just doing something because you're told to do it, but really understanding why it is you're being told to do it, why you are doing certain things. So I feel like in a lot of ways that kind of empowered her, but in my case, I think it gave my parents a lot of trust in me. And so when it did come to bigger life decisions like 
going to school in a different state, moving to New York. I know those were things that, especially moving to New York, dad was a little hesitant about, but just showing my initiative, whether that was like budgeting, figuring out how I was going to live off my salary in a city that expensive, things like that. I think just understanding what he looks for in a response and being able to respond that way on my end or like doing my due diligence to make sure I know what questions he's going to ask. I know what his concerns are. How can I alleviate those when I do go to ask for something where I do go in a different direction just to help with that conversation as well? Good. Nicole, 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's so interesting because I think not only having this like older child dynamic with my dad, but also there wasn't that trust off the bat because it was always like, I'm the first child. They're the first, this is their first attempt at parenting. And so I know what's best. And you have to do it this way. It has to be done this way. And dad and I remember growing up would always butt heads because mom would give in to a lot more. And, but dad was very like, this is how I think it should be done. This is how I'm going to guide you. And I would say, why does it have to be done this way? So on top of this kind of guardian wanting to be protective and help me make certain decisions or guide them, I was also very challenging and wanted to ask a million and one questions. And then on top of it, I would go off and do it my own way anyway. (laughs) And so I think a lot of that lended itself to not be having that initial, and maybe trust isn't the right word, but that type of bond that I would notice very clearly between him, him and Celeste growing up. But then I think as I got older and I started being able to show him through my decision making or that even if something doesn't work out or I don't do it your way, I'm still able to pick, pick up some pieces and figure it out or I'm able to pivot or I still know when to lean on you and mom. It's not like I'm not, it's not like I'm taking a whole step away from the advice that you're giving me or the any of that and more it's definitely a different dynamic than the one celeste had but i think it made raising me probably very interesting for them <laughs> well, lean i'm going to come back i like that word right so so nello i have to say what we know each other for 10 12 years now yeah something around there Right, right, that moment. So see, until then, this was probably the longest time that I have gone with you not saying a word. And I know it's been really difficult. So we're going to come back to you right now, right? And let's talk, you know, hey, you know, as we sit here, you know, you had a slightly longer journey than me in this country. But God only knows we've done a few things right. You know, we've got three beautiful, well-spoken daughters here. And thank God, and I'm saying this, on your behalf and mine, that they look like their mothers and not like us. Let's, right? Yeah, thank you. You have to, you have to agree, dude. You don't have a choice. Uh, so let's talk culture and let's talk us being the zero generation, you know, having to navigate this path. And while, you know, many have immigrated and many have brought up daughters successfully, you know, to each his own journey, right? And then talk about raising kids and specifically, you know, Nicole and Celeste and the interactions and the journey of being an immigrant, maintaining culture, which you've done brilliantly, right? And for Emily, she just so happens to like chicken tikka masala and limka, not because we tried, but just genetically, you couldn't avoid it. But, you know, 
for you more so than that. Like, like both the girls are very strong on culture, values, and growing up in the United States. So talk about, you know, your experience as a father, bringing girls up, ensuring career, giving them advice and keeping the balance. Yeah, I, when I got here, I was, I just turned 18 as I went to college. Maybe my journey, because it started a little earlier, I have a, a slightly different perspective. But at the same time, I also was raised on a value system with my family, which my parents, especially, which, which I hold close to even today, that doesn't change. And the hard part was always, we, I wanted them to be a certain way, understand Indian culture from the inside, inside out and travel to India and experience the various things. But then it, because our team, my wife has actually, was actually raised here. I did know that she did feel that conflict that at home you have to behave a certain way, but then the outside world has a different perspective, you know, and, and it's much more awkward outside than it is inside, right? Inside you can be yourself and you can tell your parents off. You can have, you can tell your kids the way you want to talk to them. So it, it was conflicting, not only uh, raising kids, but also within ourselves, because growing up in the eighties and nineties, as I'm grateful, the world has shrunk primarily because of travel and the internet, of course, and that people are now open to different cultures, but back in the day, it was very difficult. But as we moved along, I, of course, we went to church and one thing that we wish we had done too, was to work on the language skills, which we did not. And that, that may be something that they can still pick up because there's a lot of software and especially now with AI, they can definitely lean on figuring out your ways. But one thing that I kept, I've said to the girls all along is don't do it because I'm telling you to, but do it because these are the lessons I've learned. And had I had to do it differently, this is what I would do. I think different people have different perspectives. You have Celeste, who's more of the, that listener will accept it and say, got it. Nicole's more of their curious mind. And she'll say, let me think about it more. Let me digest it some more. Different people process it differently. And I've learned to adjust my style with each one of them. And there's, I've never been that sort of the helicopter parent, just because I've always wanted them to uh, do exactly what my dad's uh, dad told me is follow your heart, follow your passion and be the best version of yourself. And anything that they've done, whether it's school or their yeah, passion projects or anything with life, I give my perspective and then I back off because I always find that the more you, the more we put pressure on them, they're already going through a pretty conflicting time in their lives, growing up, trying to find their purpose, trying to find who they are and what they want to ultimately be. The last thing they need is my, is my sort of, my pressure in terms of trying, trying to tell them where to go. Right. Yeah. I, I, you're right. Right. You, the last thing we need is for our girls to second guess themselves. And, and for, for me, my favorite moment is a Luke Skywalker blowing up the death star where he had all this experience and training. And at that moment he switches off everything and he goes with the force. Right. And so yeah. our advice is may the force be with you girls. Nicole, you know, you, you ended the last segment with leanings, right? To be able to lean. And, and this is something that Emily and I talk about, or that I talk to Emily about often is like, look, you know, we've, our ancestors and our parents before us have, have brought the bar, the family bar, so to speak, whether it's professional, financial, social, economic to a certain level, and we do everything in our power to go up. Moving here to this country is, is in itself a traumatic experience 
where you're starting from zero. And I still, you know, wake up sometimes in the middle of the night wondering was I my first investment of, you know, three dollars in a laundry basket was the right one or not, right? Oh, but here we are. So I see his helicopter parent and I raise him dragon dad, right? So let's talk, Nicole. You know, cultural influences, immigrant, you know, keeping a certain set of values and cultures. Just quick 30 seconds. How is it? How do you manage all this? And parents. Yeah, I think the, my childhood was a lot of fun. And I think that was because of the way mom and dad approached it, at least from my perspective. It was a, not only a blend of American and Indian culture. In our household, it was a blend of religions. It was how do we be involved in soccer, but are we also doing Bollywood dancing? And I think the fact that Celeste and I were going through a lot of these things together, the fact that my mom was raised here and my dad had quickly adapted and had been in this country for as long as he had been by the time he had us, a lot of those things, honestly, I think made it easier for us than maybe some other kids that are also in similar immigrant parent situations. All this to say that there are definitely still values and expectations that I think our parents were pretty firm on. but. All that to say, I think the fact that they were able to make it interesting for us and on top of it, our relationship with our parents has evolved over the course of our lives. So it's just been this, um, it's always been an ongoing conversation and something that I think has turned from, oh, it has to be a lesson to now it's a conversation and something we can all participate in and actually enjoy and find value in. And that's where it really resonates with me. I learned early with Emily, it cannot be a lesson. I have to get out buy-in or it doesn't happen. Shalash, what about you? Yeah, I think very similar to what Nicole was saying. It was just a really fun environment for us to be in. And I think something Dad had talked about of a big conflict people face is acting one way at home and another more external facing. I think we're very fortunate that was never the case with us. They really... Mom and dad really just allowed us to be who we are. They always just, at the end of the day, it was, how are you having fun? How are you pursuing your passion? Are you being a good person? I think at the core, that was what they cared the most about. And so I think instilling that while teaching us what it is like to be proud of our heritage and being from India, whether that was traveling, whether that was making sure we were being introduced to all the different foods, talking about the, the history and the culture and how diverse it truly is. Those are things that I think them being from different parts of India as well, that was a huge part of it too, of just seeing people from the same country, but having such different backgrounds as well. But at the end of the day, I think it was just really them allowing us to be ourselves, even at home, that I think was one of the most invaluable things that they gave to us is that environment to just be. M. Oh, Father, how good I think something that I've struggled with is am I too, I don't know how to word this, but I'm too Indian to be American or I'm too American to be Indian. And so. And Emily, you've been called Venezuelan, German, the whole gamut, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. I get it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think or I was always the one kid growing up who had the leftovers to bring to school. Like I would have the yellow rice or uh, the yellow potatoes. I never had the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but um as I'm getting older, I'm learning to appreciate the culture aspect more. I think it adds a lot of value. And even the way we grew up, it's disciplined us to have that culture involved. So 
think as I'm getting older, I'm learning to appreciate the lessons and the values and like that way of life more. Okay, guys, Mike's, you know, take yourselves off mute. We're going to do a quick rapid fire, right? And it doesn't really have to be a rapid fire. We'll, we'll allow, you know, you to, to express your thoughts if you have to. So my first question here, and this is going to go through a series of questions, but a quick answer. I alluded to my laundry basket being my first most difficult investment. Nello, what's the best investment you've ever made? I would say just leaning in on friends uh, when I first moved to the country and just trying to understand what it means to be a part of the society. And to that extent, I was intentionally investing in my relationships right from the time I was 18 years old is who do I associate myself with to that would stay so that I could stay true, true to my values. Well, we've had to assimilate and yet maintain identity, which is not easy, right? Sometimes there are very conflicting purposes to be able to assimilate into the culture, into the system, and yet keep your, your identities true. Well, well said. Celeste, not best so investment you've ever made. Yeah, not so much a monetary investment in the way oh. it is, but more so my education, just making time to make that a priority and really finding the value and just the interest in it and wanting to continue to pursue it. Cool. Emily? I would say similar to Celeste. I think my best decision was going to San Diego State. I know I was fighting it at first. That wasn't my dream school, but I think it put me in a position or it set me up so that I could go further. I learned that I could be independent since that was my first time living away from home, but it wasn't too far where I couldn't go back home. So I think that was my best investment. Next, I'm, I'm tempted to answer this question for you and say, with your camera, but what is the best investment you've ever made? I, similar more so to dad, I'd say camera's a close second, but oh. the, just the investment in relationships with people in my life. And I think if I've categorized someone as family or if I consider them as family and the type of investment I make into those relationships has really made or break, made make sorry we're gonna scratch as either make or break yeah <laughs> yeah make, break a lot of different pathways in life that I could have taken and just I don't know I really enjoy being around my group of people and so whether it's blood or by extension the people that I consider family and the investment I make in those relationships is probably the thing I'm proudest of cool Emily what are you excited about I am excited to graduate in May and see what comes next in my career. Cool. That's a big step. So am I. Ignella, what are you excited about? I think the upcoming year with Nicole moving to another stage of her life, while she may not get married in 2024, I think the excitement of planning this big event is going to be exciting. I'm excited to see Celeste escalate her sort of being right now to a whole new level within her company or something different that she wants to follow. On a personal front, just having been with my new company for a year, totally resetting whether it's culture, strategy, or just the entire business model. A lot of investment has gone in that too this past year, and I'm looking forward to seeing it's the, the rewards of it. And then something that may never happen is I'm trying to figure out if I'll ever get excited about my wife going to work at some stage in her life. So we're, we're pushing for but you happen to be the counterforce that keeps pushing her backwards. So I might have I'm, to do I'm on the side of the righteous, my friend. 
So, you know, with all the people listening in Niswa, I hope they can buy rooms in advance because we know prices are going to go up next year. We get that, right? Uh, who did I miss in terms of excitement? Oh, we've got, we've got wedding moment happening, right? And I think we've been, we've been doing a little early and I've been doing a little more planning, but travel excites me. Yeah, as you know, that, that's a big one. So let's talk passion project. One of the things that, that, that we did as a family was invest in empowering girls in India. And that's a project and a gift that keeps giving. And that's mine. Celeste, passion project. Yeah. And it could be now, it could be, you know, 40 years from now, it could be never, but just what's a passion project for you? Something I definitely want to work towards. And I think I've been very inspired by you and Auntie Bernie, but also just even visits to India and seeing how that is and how life is so different there. I would love to work towards somehow increasing literacy rates and just access to education. I think it would be fantastic to bring it back to India, especially just given the tie I have there, but even just more on a global level, especially with some third world countries. Literacy rate education is obviously something I'm incredibly passionate about having access to it, having the opportunity for it, but even more so literacy rates. I'm a very avid reader. I've seen the sort of benefits that it has for me and just being able to have that as a hobby and just as a passion to escape everyday life. And so I think that is definitely something I would love to work towards. The next passion project, Emily. I think having worked with underserved populations, I've seen the effect that access to healthcare can have on them. So I think probably opening up like a free clinic and improving access to the basic medical needs like primary care is something that I'm passionate about. Very nice. So we're down to the last like six. You can give me either one word or one sentence answers. Okay. And we're going to go to religion, okay. politics, books, music, history, and grandma's advice. And you can say pass if you want to. Okay. But whatever comes to mind. Okay. So guys, home stretch. Uh, this has been amazing. Great conversation. And I, I've always wanted to try this rapid fire. So either one word answers that come to mind or one sentence answers that come to mind. And we'll just go clockwise, starting with and then Nicole, Celeste, Emily, and then back to again. So religion, Ignello. Peace of mind. Okay. And Nicole. Peace. Community. Pax is also a valid answer. Okay. <laughs> Celeste. Community. Emily. I'd say hope. Very nice. So, so the next one's books, right? And then however you interpret this, whether it's digital, audible, or reading a book, or a book that affected you, or you, you really like. Nicole? I'd say 19 Minutes by Jodi Pickolt. Very nice. Celeste? Harry Potter. Emily? I'm going to go the podcast route, and there's a podcast called The Hit Like a Girl, and it's all about health, healthcare IT. Very nice. Mello. Followed by your podcast. I have not read a book cover to cover since I left college, but I'm a article junkies and I've now become a leadership cast junkie. So I would say leadership BS. I won't express, I won't expand on BS, but it's, it's my favorite podcast. And note to producer, please highlight the part where he said, followed by our, my podcast. Thank yes. you. <laughs> Mello, music. Classic rock, country, anything that I can understand the words to. Emily. Taylor Swift. What a surprise. Celeste. Also follow up with Taylor Swift. Nicole. 
pretty much anything my dad listens to. <laughs> of course, we don't have a he choice. Steals all my my. Steals all. My... <laughs> you do have some good playlists that you should share. Nicole, history. It's rapid fire. Important. Okay. Emily. Lessons learned. Mm-hmm. Celeste. Emily stole the words right out of my mouth. But lessons to be learned. Do we though? It has another podcast. Yeah, it repeats itself <laughs> for sure. Emily, did you say it's another podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Ignella? Perspective. So this is a quick question I ask. I ask it in the form of if you had a billboard. It basically means a life mantra. Or if you had a if you could rent a billboard, what would be, you know, a saying? So what would be on my billboard? Yeah, what um, would be on your billboard? Say, yeah, I would say Carpe Diem. Seize the moment and own your destiny because life's important, but life's fast and furious. So when you see something, jump on it, whether it's good, bad, you'll find out and make adjustments. For another podcast, I promise you, not this one, but to juxtaposition, you know, Carpe Diem, seize the moment versus the Hindu philosophy of live in the moment, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an in- interesting juxtaposition. Nicole? Uh, I think Maya would say, take a breath or take a moment. Uh, I've realized throughout years and years of being friends with Uncle Philip and all of our Blackhawk moments, (laughs) if I take a moment and just take a breath and then assess a situation or approach a conversation, a lot of times I've allowed myself a moment of clarity to approach it probably a little bit more level-headed, so... Much thanks to you and dad for teaching me that. The student now becomes the master. Hey, uh, we, could you just move in a little bit so we can see you? Thank you. There we go. Well, we got it. We got it. We got it. Celeste. Um, mine would probably be ask for forgiveness, not for permission, which I think my younger self would faint at me saying. But I think similar to what dad's saying, it's really important for you to live in the moment and have that sense of empowerment to make decisions for yourself at that time and place. And so I think I'm asking for forgiveness later instead of permission before is a huge thing that I've started to live by. Emily, I'm sure you can tell me what would be on my billboard. There's a lot of things I could go on your billboard. <laughs> it's a big billboard, Emily. No, it's a highway billboard. Yeah. <laughs> your turn. Wait, now I want to know what you were thinking. <laughs> well, you don't mind, right? I, I, I change from time to time, but the last one I read was uh, Tim Ferriss quoting the fact that, you know, if the grass is always greener on the side that's more fertilized with bullshit. I like that one. That's deep. Your turn. I would say don't judge a book by its cover. Don't take things for face value. There's always something deeper. Cool. So this was really fun, guys, family. And I want to thank you for being here on this day after Christmas, Boxing Day. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. And where normally I would say thanks for joining us on this episode of, you know, Secure IT as I continue a journey amongst, you know, vendors and friends on cybersecurity. I want to say thank you, family, for, for being here. This was deep. This was meaningful. Make sure to follow follow this podcast for free on Google or wherever podcasts are. And please do DM me on LinkedIn or Twitter with feedback, questions, and comments. Thanks again, everyone, and see you next month. <laughs>